For the first time on this podcast, we're talking to someone from outside the Cincinnati-Dayton region. It's episode 151 of the Cincinnati-Dayton Sports Podcast, as Daryl Trujillo of the Inland Sports Show is our guest from Menifee, California. We'll talk about sports, of course, how things differ between Ohio and California, journalism, and more on the local Sunday Sports Podcast. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is a weekly podcast covering all sports in Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio. From Lima to the Ohio River and Northern Kentucky, from Eastern Indiana to Madison County and all points in between, this is your source of local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports. Visit the LeeWMowen.com slash podcasts to find your favorite podcasting platform. Music created with the Splash app. Time for another episode with your host, Lee W. Mowen. It's episode 151 of the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast, and for the first time ever, I'm interviewing someone outside the Cinde region. Please welcome Daryl Trujillo. He's of the Inland Sports Show. And Daryl, welcome aboard to the podcast, and you've made history. I don't I don't know what's the best way to uh, introduce that, but uh, it's nice to have you aboard. Thanks, Lee. Great to be here. It's uh, 10 o'clock out here, and we're headed for 100 degrees today. <laughs> 100 degrees. Wow. It, it, I mean, last week in Dayton, we had a week of rain, and then boom, we're, I think our high is supposed to be 88 again today, so. Oh, oh yeah. Sounds like the typical Midwest. Yeah, it's it's a little toasty, but it's summer. So, uh, first off, where are you from? So I am from the Mission. I was born in Mission Viejo. Um, folks moved out to Delaware for six years work. Okay. Um, and then we moved back to Menifee in uh, January of '03. Okay. What is uh, Menifee, California, like? Typical suburban town. I've got three high schools within about 15 minutes immediate drive on either side of the freeway from us. We've got a huge coverage zone down here, too. I've got another six, eight, ten schools within 20 minutes drive. That's just in this part of the area. That's that's a lot of schools. You mentioned just three right off the bat and then another bunch. That's That's a lot of good sports around, I bet. Oh, yeah. Um, we've got back-to-back CIS state volleyball champions in our coverage area, two back-to-back section champions, plenty of football teams that make deep runs every year, baseball and softball. One of my questions is, what is the high school scene of California like? It's a, all right, it's a pretty competitive scene out here. Um, we do things a little differently than in Ohio. We use what's called comp- competitive equity to uh, form our playoff divisions. Okay. So basically what happens is the powers that be, they look at a program's success over the last um, two or three years, mm-hmm. and you know every, every game you play is weighted, and it's all math to determine the playoff division. In football, though, we're doing something new this year, okay. assuming there is a this year. We're going to um, – it's still going to be competitive equity, but it's, we're not looking at past success. Okay. We're looking at the current season's results only. And that's how we'll form the playoff division. 
I kind of like that just because, I mean, you might have had success years gone by, but maybe you don't have, you know, the athletes required to maintain that standard or maybe past few years were tough and this year you got some stud athletes going through the ranks and you have yourself a wonderful team so i like the new change what about you um i like i like it i don't do a lot of football but i want to see how this works out before passing judgment okay um, i talked to a member of the um, football coaches association that was heavily in favor of the proposal passing mm-hmm. and he said it was looking out for two things a what you said about you know teams gaining and losing athletes by transfer or other means. And then the other thing was we've had issues here recently where playoff eligible teams don't get in to every division because they're only taking two automatics from each league. Some of our league get three bids and that third team was getting left out. That is a little bit tough. Uh, This year we had a situation in volleyball Mm. where we had a team freelancing. They weren't affiliated with a league. Mm-hmm. Because the previous league that they were in shut down, and it, this was a non-realignment um, year for us. That's what we call the releaguing process. And so that school was rated number one in their divisional playoffs, Division 7. But since there were a lack of available spots because of automatic qualifiers, they were left out. So that that's what the, this is hoping to cure. I was going to mention... Uh how football works in Ohio. It's it's basically the same thing where it's based on computer points, who you beat and who you play. And next year is going to be fun because they're upping the, uh, each region will send, or each division will send 12 per region. So that would be, that's four regions. Um, is that 48? Yeah, that's 48. This is not a math podcast, but... Yeah, um, and it really depends, you know, who you play. Last year we had a team in Ohio that went 10-0, and but because most of the teams didn't fare so well, they were left out of the playoffs, and that caused a big stink last year. So that's really cool how, you know, how similar uh, the new system's looking to be in California compared to Ohio. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how this will work. I'll probably do a little more football than I did in the past just because of that factor of, you know, something new to the system, a new wrinkle in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've got 14 divisions of football just in the CIS Southern section, wow. which is our governing section. Yeah, 14 divisions. The state narrows it down to about 10 or 12 or something like that okay. when they go to the state playoff. I was going to mention, since California is – massive in size i figured you have to have like two uh, governing branches just to keep all the high schools intact i mean in ohio we're lucky we have one and in california i can't mention i mean you mentioned there's close to 20 schools in a 20 minute range around you but man that's that's gotta be a lot of schools to govern yeah, the uh, southern section has 500-plus schools in its uh, territory, which is basically Temecula to the south, mm-hmm. um, Banning, Beaumont, which is think the, near the Palm Springs area, and the Palm Springs area to the east, make a circle to San Bernardino, and then Fontana, Rubido to the west. So it's basically about a – oh, and then keep working your way up north towards, like, Bakersfield and some of the coastal areas. So it's the biggest – high school association but 
um, geographical size in the country. And I think schools uh, enrolled in that association. I mean, that's going to be a tough job watching over all those schools. and But it's got to be a lot of fun, too, just because you have so many teams and so many athletes. I, I, it's got to be a sports a sports journalist uh, paradise. Oh, yeah. Even, like, in our coverage area right now, um, you know, we, we didn't have much of a spring season. I only got out to a couple of a softball games, and I don't even think I, I got one college baseball game in before everything shut down and one high school game. So coming up with content, you know, in this time of COVID-19 has not really been that big of a problem for me. I've been lucky with my podcast. I've been able to get a lot of guests on, so that's how I've been staying afloat. And uh, for me, I've, I was lucky enough to announce four college baseball games, but then that kind of ended my season. And in Ohio, we were still working on boys basketball, girls basketball playoffs, heading close to, you know, the state final fours. Um, baseball and softball haven't even started yet. I mean, they were getting ready to, but, you know, the nice thing about Ohio is <laughs> springs are a bit wet and spring sports are a little bit uh, difficult to play thanks to the lovely weather we have. And sometimes it snows even. So, but yeah, it's... It, how has the coronavirus affected you? Um, well, like just from an aspect of not having games to cover, um, obviously that's tough. Seeing the uh, 2020 seniors lose their final season of competition is obviously tough, even though you know we're just journalists and we're supposed to tell a story. You know, you get close to some of these programs, mm-hmm. um, and then. Like me personally, this is just a side venture for me. I work for Dick Sporting Goods out here, and I was on a furlough for eight weeks. Oh, has has, so, that, has that furlough ended for you yet? Yeah, we returned Monday. Okay, it's nice to be back, and it's nice to. I mean, content-wise for us, it really hasn't impacted things. I've gotten to tell some pr- pretty interesting stories during the the break that might not have otherwise been told. We've had an issue with uh, theft in our area and at some of the high schools. Well, you know, they've been shut down. So I did a nice little story on that. Um, even one of our local youth softball leagues was hit. Yeah, it's it's really been a tough time. And what makes it scary is not only the fact this is the first time, you know, our generation or our lifetimes handled something like this, but there's no clear-cut answers to when things will get back to normal, if we'll ever go back to that, you know, normal standard again. Exactly. And, and like, for us, there's a lot of, you know, for all of us in the sports world, there's a lot of the unknown. Um, I mentioned, you know, when we were talking earlier that I line judge Division two college volleyball. Mm-hmm. My one conference, the, Cal, the CCAA, the Cal State, They've already said they're not going to have their fall team. Their fall competitions are suspended, mm. and that the Cal States are all going to do uh, their you know, classwork and coursework via distance learning. And they made that call two weeks ago, and it's still just the middle of May. I'm like, why are they making that call that early? Yeah, that seems a little bit early. I mean, I I applaud them for trying to think safety and what if it stretches that far, but. Here in Ohio, I, I've seen two schools, and they're both community colleges, that said no fall sports, no winter sports, and 
the community college in downtown Dayton and Sinclair, they said no sports at all for 2020-2021. So, and that came uh, almost a month ago now. It was towards the beginning of May. It's oh wow, yeah, it's yeah, I've, it's scary. Yeah, I've got. A, I'm working on a story right now about collegiate recruiting in the COVID nineteen era. Um, just because you know there's no travel ball tournaments, there's no club volleyball, there's no travel basketball for these college coaches to go, you know, visit. And most states did not complete their high school tournament. I mean, in California, we were two days away from the state championships when everything shut down. Hmm. It was Wednesday of state championship week when, you know, that everything started, you know, getting canceled and postponed and all those things. And then Thursday of state championship week, the CIF state offices decided to cancel the tournament. I had a team in my coverage area that was scheduled to play in a state final after winning only six games two years ago. And so to see them not get to finish what they started was kind of tough. And then they're in my Champions Reflect series, which I'll mention later on. Their coach mentioned that it was one of the hardest things that he's ever gone through as a coach, not getting to, you know, having to tell his team that they didn't get to finish what they started. That has to be heartbreaking. I mean, you win six games the previous year and you're playing for a state title this year and nope. You're not able to play it. That's, I think that's what breaks my heart more. Just the the seniors in college and high schools, they they're not able to finish their last year. Although what is nice is for NCAA at least, uh, seniors are allowed to come back during uh, spring sports, which is really cool because we at Wright State and Dayton we had uh, a lot of seniors. I think eleven on both squads. So definitely having a chance to come back and you know, play what would have been their last year, that's pretty nice. So hopefully we have that. Yeah, I like, I mean, the NCAA, they're doing the right thing, the NCAA, is by giving them that fifth year of eligibility. Yeah. I mean, I have two Division One schools in my coverage area. I have a Division Two, um, a Division Three, and a couple of JCs. So um, the, I have the Division Two defending national champions in volleyball, Cal State San Bernardino, in my coverage area. Okay. So I'm kind of curious to see how many of those, but they're not affected by that rule. Um, I have, I don't have a, you know, a college that's affected by that rule in terms of defending champions, but I do have California Baptist University, who's new to Division One, mm-hmm. and then I have the University of California at Riverside in my coverage area also. I was going to ask that next. Like, who are these colleges and schools that you cover? So... Obviously, we spend most of the time on the Division One. Like I said, I have California Baptist University, who plays in the Western Athletic Conference with mm-hmm. um, Missouri, Kansas City, Chicago State, um, Texas Rio Grande Valley, uh, Seattle University, Grand Canyon. Um, Dixie State joins the conference from D2 this year, and so does Tarleton State. So, And then I have UC Riverside, who's in the Big West with a bunch of UCs, Cal State, and then the University of Hawaii is also Big West. Uh, man, the whack and all that travel. I mean, Chicago State and Kansas City, I mean, that's whew, that's got to be brutal for travel budgets. Oh, yeah. You better <laughs> believe that. Let's just say that uh, CBU uh, racks up the frequent flyer miles. <laughs> uh, 
I, that's still it's still so stretched out, and it reminds me a lot of the Summit League. I think the closest team they had to California though was Southern Utah, but man, just the travel you can rack up in those two conferences alone. I mean, hope you like traveling with them, but oh, you have to like it. Um, you know, you talk to the CBU coaches, and they're like, "Yeah, we, you know, we've gotten used to it, you know, somewhat, but it's still not easy to, you know." go to Ontario Airport for every road trip you have to get, you know, go on in the WAC. They had to change some of the scheduling rules in the WAC to accommodate, you know, CBU and the travel involved, um, like making sure they have an extra day to prepare on for the back end of a road trip and some of those things. Like they went to Wednesday, Saturday in, was it in women's basketball, men's and women's basketball, or and then in volleyball they did, what was it, Monday... Saturday, Monday, or something odd. They did a couple of very odd things last year to try something. I mean, hey, they tried something on that, but Monday sports, just the only thing I can think about Monday sports is it's either uh, Monday night football or you're playing in a conference championship. I mean, it's something that you don't get to see a lot. No, it's not. Um, And it's something... I'm sure they'll figure out. I mean, Dixie and Tarleton coming in. We'll see. We'll see what they uh, decide to do next year. Um, CBU is all, the uh, WAC Board of Governors um, ruled CBU basketball to be eligible for the conference tournament this coming year in uh, 2021. Um, a couple of years ahead of schedule because you know a typical transition from D2 to D1. That transitioning program is um, not postseason eligible for four years. Right. Either for the conference tournament or the NCAA tournament. So the WAC giving them that nod is a big step in the right direction. Now let's talk about you, Daryl. How did you know you wanted to be in journalism? I actually took a pretty unique road to the uh, press table. Um, I I was a golfer in high school, played three years of golf. Okay. I was my school's basketball scorekeeper for 10 years. After I graduated, full-time, I handled both varsity teams, I handled stats, I handled a lot of the sports information side of things. So I worked with our local reporters. And I guess you could say that was kind of my first introduction to to journalism. Um, so I guess that, that was my start. And when I got out of officiating high school volleyball because of a job conflict, I thought, okay, this is a nice way to stay involved. And then my bosses, Pep Fernandez and Jeff Gorham, offered me an opportunity to cover high school volleyball during the uh, 2017 season. And then from there, we just started adding more stuff onto my uh, workload, and I'm enjoying being on this side of the press table. Isn't that a great spot? We get in for free, and we watch sport, and we get to spread the word to the people. It's, it's a great field. Exactly. I mean, I still keep my toe in the officiating pond by, like I said, doing lines, but and I'll, I, I still rough club every now and again, but I'm mostly out of out of the officiating side of it and pretty well into this side of things. I will say, though, with the officiating side, it also adds another unique perspective as well, just because you know, okay, this is what the rule is. I mean, I I have to figure that would be something nice to read about as well. Oh, yeah, um... And I would encourage anybody who's, like, 
for your audience. I don't know what the Ohio um, officiating situation is like. I imagine there are shortages like there are all over the country. But, you know, if you've lost a job in the COVID-19 era, officiating is a way, great way to get back into the game that you might have played in high school or college and make a decent paycheck on the side. And you're right. I mean, it, it's a shortage here in Ohio, and I think it's nationwide. It's just it's tough being an official for sports, you know, because then you have – you know, people that are just, they they think it's life or death that you made that call. It's like, it's not. Let them call the game, and uh, I'm sorry, it's just a pet peeve of mine. Oh, yeah, I have, I mean, four years of high school volleyball, I might have only given, I gave less than five, a handful of yellow cards. I never went to red on a coach, ever. Okay. You'll find, I mean, I'll tell your audience that most coaches, you'll Fine, as long as you give them an explanation. They may not agree with the explanation of what you're calling, but you know, give them an explanation. And, and if they're still a little irate, do you do the best you can to talk them down, but use the cards as the last resort. But we find that a lot of new officials are afraid to use their tool. In this case, their cards or their whistle. Don't be afraid to use your tools if you can't talk that coach off the ledge. You know, I always thought it'd be the other way around, where it's more of an overzealous new officials. Like, you're walking towards me, here's a yellow. And personally, uh, announcing and broadcasting volleyball, I think I've seen maybe one, two yellow cards. And for me, it's so weird seeing yellow cards and red cards in volleyball, because I'm more used to it in soccer. and Which, I've seen plenty of yellow and red cards, and there's some great stories in there. But Oh, I bet. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, in, and in college volleyball, you have to remember the officials, that down official is going to be a little bit better at talking to a coach than in high school, where in high school, a lot of the time, it's going to be a newbie that's, you know, a rookie that just got their license that's having to talk that coach down. But at the same time, these are good situations, too. If someone wants to officiate for a long time, you know, you're going to need to be able to defuse something, you know, without being overzealous or underzealous even. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you've got to be able to communicate with the coaches and you've got to be able to handle them without being able to having to use those cards or giving a coach a technical foul in basketball or dugout warnings in baseball or anything like that. The best officials are great communicators. Absolutely. And it's something that I feel is overlooked, too, just because you think officials are just there to make sure you know sports are played, but you got to be able to communicate. Exactly. Let me ask you, Daryl, what's your history of sports, and what were some? What was your first game you can honestly remember being hooked on to sports? Let's see. Let's see. I was, like I said, I played three years of high school golf. Um, I, I come from a family of re- football players and wrestlers. Okay. My dad and my uncles all played football, wrestled in high school. I didn't go into the family business. I went my own way. I played golf in high school. Um but I grew up loving all sports, you know, baseball, basketball, um, softball. I picked up when we moved out here. Same thing with volleyball. Um, but some of my favorite athletes growing up, I was a, I'm a big Jamie Moyer fan. I grew up just outside of Philadelphia. So Philadelphia Phillies, Jamie Moyer, that 2008 world series team in in, uh, Philadelphia, Pat Burrell, those guys, Brad Lidge. Those were some of my athletic heroes growing up. Okay, I was going to ask uh, some of your uh, favorite teams growing up, the Phillies, that World Series team. That was a good uh, Philadelphia squad in the NL. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, how about when you made the move to California? What were some of the teams that you instantly fell in love with? Or maybe it took time, but you got in the uh, fanship of any of the teams nearby? I mean, obviously, you know, you grow up and you're born in this part of California. You grow up an Angels and Dodgers fan. And even when we were back east, um, you know, I still kept up with the Angels and the Dodgers. Um, but that was really it. I wasn't a big... I'm not a big San Diego Charger fan for football or Rams now that we got the Rams back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd say the Angels and Dodgers in baseball are my two biggest, you know, I picked it, picked up since moving back here. Um, the uh, year the Angels won the World Series in 2002, I, I remember I was actually a freshman in high school. And so, you know, with the time difference, some of those first pitches were pretty late. <laughs> yeah. So I can remember watching, you know, watching a World Series game and waking up at four in the morning to finish my homework the next morning. Can I just make a a note? You said you were a freshman in high school in 2002. So was I. So we're about the same age. That's pretty cool. Scary thought, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, a little bit. But, hey, um, there you go. Uh, Let me ask you about your involvement with the Inland Sports Show. How did that come to be? So it's kind of interesting, actually. Like I said, I was, you know, I was trying to figure out a way to stay involved since I had to retire from officiating because of a job conflict at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, a, you know, I was rising up the pole pretty quick. So when they said, no, you can't do it anymore, I was like, oh, great. I had to give all this up, and I was still looking for a way to stay involved. Um, one of our show forerunners, uh, Jeff Gorham, was a high school basketball coach at the time, and I had score kept his Nordavista basketball teams in our tournaments. Um, and so they were looking for somebody to, you know, do some volleyball and do some other things. And they were like, you know, they gave, I guess my name popped into his head and he was like, Hey, Daryl, are you interested in coming aboard and doing some volleyball stuff for us? I told him sure. And from there it's been, I've learned a lot and added things and figured out new ways to tell stories. And like I said, it's been a blast, but that was how I got started was just, I was looking for a way to stay involved in high school sports until either I returned to officiating or this became something I enjoyed, and it's become the latter. You've touched on how many uh, schools and teams you cover, but what are all the sports you get to see? All right, so I do um, primarily volleyball during the fall, with just a dash of football. Um, basketball in the winter, um, baseball, softball, and golf in the spring. Is there any sports that you don't get to cover that you'd like a chance to one day? I've always wanted to try my hand at riding water polo and soccer. I just, I, I haven't figured out how to make a zero zero soccer game look interesting to a reader. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense, and I get that. I mean. People look at the scores like, oh, there's no goals. Hmm. But you got to think about how the possession battle, you know, fared on the field. And I think that's what, you know, I love about soccer. It's just the battle of the possession and everything like that, or how the goalies fared as well. I love soccer. It's uh, it's one of my favorite uh, sports to announce. But then again, uh, I, lo- I I love all sports, so, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, those are the two that I want to try and learn next. I want to get a little bit better at covering football, too. Like, I cover football. I don't keep stats live. I'm not that 
inclined at it yet. Um, that's kind of the next step I want to take in football is being able to do live stats and work that into into football story. And personally for me too, uh, I definitely want to start to keep my own stats uh, just so when I broadcast football, I have it right there and, you know, everything's easy peasy to, you know, process and talk about. So I, I definitely feel you on the uh, live stat thing. Now, water polo is interesting. It's it's a sport that some schools in Southwest Ohio have, but it's one that, you know, it's it, it's a fantastic sport. I wish I could get into water polo. Yeah, pretty much all of our schools have it out here. I mean, even if you have you don't, your school doesn't have a pool, a lot of times they'll go rent an off-campus facility and they'll field it. Okay. And I know it's a big uh, collegiate sport out there in California, too. I think USC has a really good program, UCLA. Uh, I know those are the two big ones I know that have water polo. But Oh, yeah, even some of your um, smaller schools have it, like your uh... – oh, gosh – like CBU is in that conference mixed in with the you know the the division ones like the UCA the USC's UCLA's of the world they're mixed in with that group. Let me ask about your favorite stories you got to write uh, for any sport any team. Uh, give me your favorite tales. Hmm. All right. So last year was uh, CBU's first year in Division One. Their first game in the Western, their men's basketball team's first game in the WAC was against New Mexico State, the defending champion. They beat New Mexico State that first game out. And I'm in the back room of the, the CBU Event Center, which is a, their gorgeous 5,000-seat on-campus arena, you know, in, trying to interview the coach. Mm. And the battery on my phone decides to die in the middle of the interview. Oh, Oh, yeah. I see see the little, you know, phone shutting down light, and I'm thinking, oh, crap. Uh, Well, one of the CBU sports information guys was standing right next to me recording the interview for, I'm guessing, what they were going to write, too. And I looked at my phone, I looked at him, and after we finished the interview, and I was like, Mike, can you please email me that sound file? Because my phone just quit in the middle of it. So, yeah, he emailed me the sound file, and, you know, I was able to get the story done and in. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that was a, that was definitely interesting. I learned that night to use the audio record feature on my phone instead of the straight video feature. I got to spend a day at Dodger Stadium covering the CIS baseball finals last year. Oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah, that was interesting. The, Dodger, uh, the Dodgers charged CIS a dollar to, you know, use the facility for the day, I think it was. No parking. Yeah. Wow. I I need to tell Ohio, hey, uh, step your game up, because while it's cool to see state championship in a triple-A ballpark, it's just we have two MLB ballparks in Ohio. Why can't we, you know, use those? But I'm sorry, but that was, I mean, that had to be some great baseball and beautiful stadium, Dodger Stadium. Uh, Tell me about those games. So... I had a doubleheader that day. We had, uh, there were three games at Dodger Stadium. We split our baseball finals between two sites. Mm-hmm. So Divisions 1 through 3 get to use Dodger Stadium. Divisions 4 through 7 get to use the University of California at Riverside, or as we like to call it, the Plex, the Plex. Um, where, ironically, Troy Percival is the baseball coach currently, the former Angels closer from that 2002 team. Hmm. 
Um, so at Dodger Stadium, we had I had Great Oak from Temecula, and I had Norco from uh, the near Corona area, um, just a li- little south of Ontario. Okay. Um, Great Oak won their game seven nothing. It was the first title in school history, their second appearance, but it had been not no uh, thirteen years between appearances for Great Oak. Um, their starting pitcher threw a one hit shutout with. I want to say 10 strikeouts, nine strikeouts. Wow. And Great Oak uh, scored seven runs in the fourth. They sent 12 men to the plate um, in that fourth inning for the seven runs. And then my second game that day, I actually had an extra inning game. <laughs> it was Norco versus Santa Margarita, which is a private Catholic school in our in the southern, in the southern section. Okay. Went to 12 innings. Uh, Norco lost one nothing. Um, run came around and scored as a result of an error. Um, but even for Norco, that was their first finals appearance in 15 or 20 years, I want to say. Wow. Um, and, you know, you'd think Norco, when you think Norco High School, you think you, your mind immediately jumps to softball. Mm. But people don't know, they've been a solid baseball program in our area for a lot of years. I mean, that big eight league in baseball and softball is no joke. It's among the best, and I would venture the nation. Wow. Um, and But the Dodger State, you know, we got to use the actual Dodger Stadium press box. Um, right behind the press box, they had a press cafeteria for us, too, that they opened up. Dodger dogs, pulled chicken, salad, you know, stuff like that. You know, that was going to be my next question, like, hmm. Why are they suffering to the press for that? That's really cool. Oh, even at UCR, they give you a little voucher for to go use the concession stand. You get like a hot dog and a, or a sandwich, a chip, and a drink for, and you just hand them your ticket and you take it back up. But the only downside is at UCR, we don't get to use the press box. Mm. So where do you sit? They have us outside, underneath kind of the shade of the press box with tables and. temporary power strips because all the CIF folks are in the press box. I was going to ask, hopefully you have shade there just because I know how hot it can be. Yeah, but even even in the shade, it didn't help us. Uh, Me and a colleague from a complete peating outlet, we went to go get lunch, you know, left our electronic devices plugged in there on the table. Next thing you know, we get back and we get, we're seeing the overheating alarms on everything. I'll tell you, you never saw five reporters put their electronics away so fast. (laughs) I actually had to do that for a broadcast myself just because while there is a, like, press row, it's it's all outdoors. Uh, The sun was beating down at the right time. That's why we don't have 5 o'clock soccer games, especially when it's 100-degree heat. But uh, never mind that. Um, But I I can only imagine that that had to be tough. Oh yeah, um, I mean the good thing was I mean you still I mean I always bring a notebook anyway mm-hmm. for baseball and so, for anything I'm covering baseball softball volleyball I have my own formats for covering them in you know before I translate it to a story um, so I mean it was a good thing I had the notebook and it was like okay it's just a small inconvenience I can go write it at Starbucks later. Do you remember your first story that you wrote? Yeah, uh, it would have been the second round of the CIF volleyball playoffs, 
Temecula Valley versus Harvard Westlake. So another public private school matchup, but this is, you know, upper level division one schools that we're talking about. Okay. Um, and I, re- I remember Temecula Valley had a buy in the first round. They lost in the second round. They did that in back to back years. Mm. As it turned out after winning their uh, league championship. Um, but I remember, you know, you know, watching the match and then going home and sitting down and writing the story. And when I got done, I looked at the word count and I was like, okay, this is way too long, but I've got to file it. (laughs) It ended up being about 800 some odd words for a four set match. And I'm like, I can't figure out how how much to chop out of this. And I just sent the story in and they ran it. But I, I, I read that story now and, some of the volleyball stories I did from last fall. And I'm like, I can't believe how, how far I've come in basically two and a half years. It is amazing to see how much you can grow in journalism just from your first article. And then you look at it now. It's like, wow, that's, that's really cool. I, I, I also like doing that in terms of broadcasting. I listen to my first game occasionally. It's like, ugh, I was so rough. Why did I decide to be in this field? And then I listened to the last one. It's like, hey, that didn't sound too bad. So I definitely I, I definitely have those feelings as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, my first big college assignment wasn't even that CBU New Mexico State men's basketball game I talked about. Mm-hmm. The previous, uh, was it December, November? The previous uh, December, uh, CBU was hosting the Division Two West Regional Volleyball Tournament, their final year of Division Two. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have eight, you know, Division Two, they have eight teams at each regional to, to fill the 64 team field. Mm-hmm. CBU was a host, so I had four matches on the first day. Three of them went five. Wow. And the, yeah. And I had to write two of them because they had local teams. Ah. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, after each match, you know, you're run, running from the press room to the scorer's table to the pre, from the press room to the scorer's table. And actually, for us at that site, that was where the cafeteria was too. So if you wanted to eat, you had to make sure nobody was doing press conferences in there. That uh, that doesn't sound like too much fun. You're hungry, but then they're having interviews. Like, don't mind me. I'm just getting my food. But yeah, I, I mean, most of us, you know, we were all eating. You know, we all ate at the same time. It was usually press conference, grab two slices of pizza, and then run back to the scores table. I know you were talking about collegiate volleyball, but when uh, California has high school volleyball tournaments, uh, do some of the colleges uh, allow their gyms to be used, or what's the setup for that? Uh, Like, for us, the state finals are held at a junior college out here called Santiago Canyon. Okay. And then the section finals are held at um, Cerritos College, another junior college, or campus venues. Okay, so like home venues type of thing. Yeah, exactly. So we have, um, what is it, seven, nine divisions of volleyball in the southern section. Um, Cerritos typically will only host three of them, Division One, and then two others. Mm -hmm. Actually, in this case, it was, did they do four this year? I think they did four divisions at Cerritos this year. And then the rest at campus sites, which... Actually, Division Nine, Avalon, Catalina Island got 
made it to the finals, and they got to host. And Division Nine is that the smaller schools in California? Yes, that's our smallest in the southern section. So, okay. Cornerstone Christian from the Wildemar area, which is actually about 20 minutes west of me, mm-hmm. they had to go make that boat ride on a Saturday morning. They actually stayed over on a Friday. Huh. Um, you know, they boated over on a Friday, stayed Friday night, and then played at 10 o'clock in the morning. They were the first final up on championship Saturday. He said they had to take a boat to get there? Yeah. That's it's, cool. We call it the greatest home field advantage in the southern section. I mean, I have to assume that boat trip's pretty cool as well. Oh, yeah, the kids love the boat trip and getting them at that day of school, obviously, to stay over. A lot of teams, when they go over for, you know, Catalina, it pretty much becomes an all-day adventure. Or when Avalon comes to us, it becomes an all-day adventure for them. Now, we've talked a lot about uh, teams and games, but are there any uh, athletes and coaches that you really enjoyed working with over the past few years? Oh, yeah. Um, my best friend, one of my good friends from when I was um, at Woodcrest Christian as a program assistant for volleyball mm-hmm. is the girls' volleyball coach at Ontario Christian, Paige Lee Part. Okay. Her team won back-to-back section and state championships, and her kids, her and her program have been some of my favorite, you know, interviews and stories to write. Um, Stephen Koss at Paloma Valley, their volleyball coach, has been one of my favorite interviews. Um, I get some of my best from volleyball, um, some basketball, obviously, but those are the ones that stick out to me. Matt Dale at Paloma Valley, their coach and his team, they're the ones that went from uh, six wins a couple of years ago to the state finals. They've always been good to me in terms of interviews. But, yeah, I, I mean, there's not one that, like, sticks out in the top, you know. Usually, like, for us, we think, oh, that player or that coach gives really good sound. But, like, to me, it's it's about telling a story, and it's like they all mix together, but none of them, like, stand out, you know, off the top of my head, if that makes sense. No, I get that. I, I asked the question mainly just because coaches and athletes, they're, you know, when, when they help us out a lot, it's it's always, you know, they do their best and they always give 100% uh, for us. And it's really cool to learn about them and how they felt about what just happened on the court or in the field. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's one of those things where, like, like you may know the sport, but until you see it from a coach's eyes or the player's eyes and you, you get to live things through their eyes and their words, it, that's what it's about. It's All people see is what happens on TV or on the floor. We get the inside scoop. <laughs> Absolutely, and that's that's the best perspective too. Just because you, you know, the athlete that just played that game is you know telling you, "Hey, this is how I feel," type of thing. So, I definitely enjoy that in terms of journalism and interviews for broadcasting as well. Oh yeah, and and the best part is like seeing that, like seeing them get to you know, like the Champions Reflect series that I've been working on. I've been going through and, you know, going back over area, you know, championship teams and asking them to kind of relook at things, mm. you know, months or in some cases years later. Mm. Like I have um, coming up this week, I have a team from 2017 that won a CIF title in softball. Okay. It's their first playoff appearance in the school's history in softball, and they won it the first time out. And so three years later, as those some of those freshmen are seniors now graduating – 
their t- I asked them to kind of take a look back at that title for me. I mean, bringing up some championship uh, memories, That's that's got to be fun for them as well. Exactly, and that's actually what I'm going to work on after I'm done with you guys is uh, that story because uh, I told my bosses I'd have it in like tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I promise I won't keep you too much longer. Oh no, you're you're fine. It's only it's 10:30 in the morning here. You're you got plenty of time. I keep forgetting that too. It's like 1:45 here in uh, Ohio, but hey, that's how time zones work, I guess. But yeah. But still, that's that's a huge honor as well. I mean, you get to talk about championship, and that's got to be big in the community and the athletes that got to live through it. So definitely, that's that's a cool opportunity. Oh, yeah, and one of them is uh, headed to uh, – two of those kids are going to be playing Div- Division One softball next year. That's cool. Where at? Uh, one headed to LSU in the, out of the SEC, and then the other one to uh, Cal State Bakersfield. I think Bakersfield's a pretty good softball team, right? I believe so. I'm not extensively familiar with their softball history, but I know they've been pretty good in some of the other sports over the years. Um, This will be Bakersfield's first year in the uh, Big West. Bakersfield's going to save themselves a lot of money by not having to fly out to Chicago and to Missouri, (laughs) Kansas City. Yeah, I still can't believe how stretched out the whack is. I know we covered that earlier in the podcast, but it's just... It's just Chicago State in Illinois to California, just the travel. Oh, budget. yeah. What are some of your favorite things about sports locally in California? I love the fact that, you know, pretty much our kids get to play all year round, whether it's golf or um, baseball and softball. Uh, you know, volleyball, the club volleyball scene is pretty vibrant here. Mm-hmm. Um I love the fact that our kids get those year-round opportunities. I love how cooperative our schools and our coaches are out here. You know, when you're trying to get info for something, most of the time, all I have to do is place a phone call or place an email, and within a couple, within an hour or two, I get something back that I need. I love the turnaround time on things. You know, like if I'm writing a story, I'm not one to sit on a story for two weeks. I get the stuff I need, I write it, and I get it out. I mean, that's the only way to go. I mean, if you sit on two weeks and you you might forget stuff. So I, I totally agree on that. Yeah, I, I just I love the level of cooperation we get out here. And I, I know I'm sure it's not that way everywhere, but at least the places and the schools I've dealt with, I've been very impressed by that and really impressed by how articulate the kids come across when you, you know, when you talk to them in person, like when I get answers to questions, you know, via text message or email for a story, you know, a story that you're working on. Very rarely do I have to do any significant editing. Now, this is more for my curiosity. Uh, Do you listen to a lot of broadcasts on radio or watch them on TV in the area? Oh, yeah. I mean, like my boss, Pat Fernandez, is the uh, CBU basketball Mm. play-by-play for the WAC Digital Network. Cool. Um, Jeff Gorham does UCR games. He's the men's basketball sports information director also for basketball only. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I listen, I listen to a fair amount of University of Delaware, especially during the Elena Deladon years. So Matt Janis and Christine Coronmata, um, their broadcast crew. Um, I grew up listening to them basically when I moved out here. <laughs> That's how I would keep up with Delaware basketball <laughs> was those guys. Yeah. 
couldn't have been easy with, you know, if you're in California and it's on the other side of the uh, country. So is, isn't technology oh, great nowadays? Oh, yeah. Like a, a noon tip-off in the CAA is a 9 o'clock game here. And that means Blue Hen Game Day, the pregame show is 8.30 a.m. here, so it's breakfast and uh, college basketball. There's, there's worse ways to celebrate a morning, though. Yeah. During a typical, we'll say high school season, uh, there are a lot of radio crews that get to uh, broadcast the games or broadcast crews that get to uh, broadcast? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, we'll do, like, at Inland Sports, we'll do maybe a handful of games as a Inland Sports Radio, mm-hmm. just so we don't have to pay the CIF rights fees to, you know, live stream a game. Yeah. We, we have those pesky rights fees, right? We have those in Ohio, and uh, football is probably football is probably the big sport in Ohio. So you have your fees right at the first round of the playoffs. Whereas most other sports, you can get you know into the sectionals, maybe even the regionals for free. But then once you get closer to the championship, then you start paying the fees. But yeah, uh, those broadcast fees, I get why, but. For us, they're they're just no good. Yeah, like for, like I said, like for us, most of our press corps is mostly print guys. You know, I, you like I'll go and see games, and I'll see guys from the press enterprise. That there are compet basically our big competitors out here. Mm-hmm. Um, they're part of what's called the Southern California News Group, okay. and those guys are my good friends. Growing, you know, I read them growing up, and now we're you know covering games together, and they're basic. It's us and them, and it's basically. That's basically it for the Inland Empire. I see. Yeah, nothing's really broadcasted in a formal sense until, you know, obviously you get to the playoffs and you have the NFHS network take over for volleyball, and then uh, Fox Sports takes over for football and volleyball. We talk about a lot of things that you like about sports in California. What would be some things you would change? I think for me, the biggest thing is making sure the smaller schools get their fair share of the pie in terms of coverage and ink and all those content and those things. I think a lot of the time we all tend to, uh, you know, pay attention to the bigger public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure it's that way everywhere. I'm sure it's probably that way in Ohio, right? Um, very much so. Yes. Um, I, I, would say most of the smaller schools do get uh, fairly decent coverage just because they're perennial powerhouses in football, but there's some other small schools that you know really don't get the same amount of coverage. It's, but it's tough, especially in Southwest Ohio, since you have so many schools that carry the sport, and you know you have so many people that can go out there. So I I, I understand that but i definitely i i definitely appreciate the vibe that you just mentioned like you know smaller schools getting a a nice share of the pie and i mean i i I, a lot of us i mean we look at a smaller school and we think we only look at a smaller school team when they're successful which i guess is the way it should be and i mean the good programs deserve the coverage but there's stories all over in the in the smaller schools that they're they're producing good athletes too and i feel like we neglect to pay attention to them as much as, you know, a larger public school. I, I definitely understand that. And it's, 
it's something that I change around here too because you know, from small school to big schools, you have great athletes. Although I will say most of our small schools are like farm towns that have maybe, oh, I don't know, 100, 200 people. But again, that's a school district that gets a lot of coverage just because in the northern part of the Dayton area, you know, those are really, really uh, big bruising football teams up there. But definitely, I, I there's got to be a better way to make sure smaller schools and bigger schools get, you know, same amount of coverage and private and public schools as well. It's it, it's a tough thing, but I, I totally understand that. And I mean, in this era of, you know, most sports departments not having full-time, maybe a full, full-time editor and then a bunch of freelancers, that's just not an easy way to go about it, but it's the world we live in in 2020 right now. Absolutely, especially with the coronavirus and, you know, having, you mentioned you were furloughed for eight weeks and myself, I've been out of a job since uh, mid-March, so it's it's tough. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was, you know, I was telling my store team yesterday when I got back to work, I was like, missing you guys was getting pretty real the last couple of weeks. How else has the coronavirus affected your job? I feel, I mean, definitely an, an increased use of uh, email and text messaging to t- get stories done as opposed to, like, shooting digital content for our YouTube channel at Inland Sports. I mean, I focus mostly on the writing, but obviously there's stuff I would have wanted to do via YouTube, for YouTube that I couldn't just because of the coronavirus and restaurants being shut down and, you know, not having places to shoot outside and all those things. What are you most looking forward to when the quarantine ends in terms of sports? When we get back... I'm looking forward to that first time hearing the national anthem at a game and just standing there with your, you know, your hand over your heart and just making sure we remember who we are as Americans and just the fact, just being grateful to be out there again. I, I feel like a lot of us have taken, you know, this was mentioned. I read somewhere that a lot of people in the sports world have taken for granted, you know, hey, we're going to have a game, we're going to have a next season. We're going to have a next week in terms of a you know a game to be played or a game to cover, and I think maybe this has taught us that we appreciate you know we appreciate each game for what it is, and try and that we stop looking ahead to the next assignment, even while we're at the current one. I know we're guilty of this as officials. You know, we'll sit in the locker room and talk about where we're going. You know, say it's a Friday night match match and you're you're working on a Saturday and you're talking about where you're going on Saturday. Are you really enjoying that Friday night match you're working? Probably not because you're looking forward to your next one, even while you're out there. And I feel like, I don't want to say I've taken sports for granted, but you know, I'm definitely going to have that same attitude when I get back to work. It's just, I'm excited to be at this game and I'm, you know, happy to be broadcasting, announcing. And I, I'm just hoping we get sports back soon because I'm ready to go back to work. But like out here, I mean, I can tell you, I think we're going to have high school football. I'm just not sure what form it's going to take. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I can tell you that one of the local football officials associations has started to assign officials to their their games for the fall. Um, so the Orange County Football Officials Association, so Anaheim, that area, they started assigning their officials already. That's pretty nice. Um, I can't say if Ohio's done that for officials, but I will say that the OHSAA, the main governing body in the state, they have started to allow voluntary uh, workouts again with, you know, the proper, you know, coronavirus uh, prevention uh, techniques. So I feel like we will have high school football. I mean, that's, it's the big sport in Ohio to talk about uh, football, but at the same time, we still have a long way to go. So I'm, I'm hoping we just continue the right path and we will have football uh, starting up in August. Yeah, um, our first, uh, our week zero here is August the twenty first. Okay, that I believe that would be either the last uh, preseason week or the first regular season week. I'm trying to think. When when the actual season starts, I'll know it when I go to Cincinnati. But uh, but yeah, that's that's about the same uh, timeline for us here in Ohio. Yeah, as well. our, yeah, our rules say though we have you know you have to have 14 days of team practice and all these all these things before you get going. So okay, um, yeah, I'm ex- I'm interested to see if we'll have those week zero, week one games. The fact that Orange County officials are getting assigned for football leads me to believe that there's hope of that. Um, I saw one team in nor- Northern California was cleared to start um, strength and conditioning stuff, I think this morning, if memory serves. Okay. Was that this morning or yesterday morning they were cleared to start? Hey, that's a nice sign um, so, as well. Yeah, we're, see- we're seeing signs that, um, you know, teams being cleared to go back and start working out. Um, I think for us the biggest thing is, I mean, it'll be when we get. When do we see travel softball? I think that's the next big thing. When do we have start seeing triple crown tournaments and uh, premier girls fast pitch tournaments? When are those returning to the calendar? Because then that's going to lead us to um, everything else. Now, in terms of sports and media in the future, what would you like to see? I think we're in a good spot. I think. Boy, that's a good question. I think we're in a good spot. I think we're doing pretty well. I mean, as an industry, I mean, I, I know there are some papers and outlets that have shut down or drastically scaled back sport, the sports departments. Um, but I think I'd like to see us get younger. I think, and this is my officiating background coming into it. As officials, you, you notice the pool of officials is getting older, right? Right. I think it's the same thing in our profession. I think I think we need to get younger. Like the guys I see from the press enterprise are all way older than me. Um, but they're veterans of this business and they've been around for a while and they love it. I feel like we, I, I think that's the big thing I want to see is I want to see us get younger as a group. I want to be able to go to a game and be the old guy covering it, not being 32 and being the uh, youngest guy covering that game. <laughs> So I want to see more kids coming out of journalism schools that are interested in the print side of things. Now, when you were I – mean, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I mean, like for me as a writer, I mean, like I said, I go to these games and I'm 32 and I'm the old guy. I'm the youngest 
guy of the two or three of us that are covering the game in print. That's, I mean, I want to see the print side of the business get a little bit younger. When you were in uh, high school or uh, college, did you have any uh, journalism classes that uh, were offered? No. Um, actually, ironically enough, I went to college studying history. Hmm. Which, in a way, I mean, you're you know you're telling the story of an event. That's basically what history is. That's a very good point. Um, it's something that I've never thought of, actually. But I mean, my earliest inclination of journalism was. I was, let's see, I was on the yearbook staff in eighth grade, mm-hmm. wrote a story for the school paper in fourth grade, like 250-some-odd words. It was like 10 inches or whatever. I can't remember, but yeah. I mean, those were my earliest introductions to journalism. I didn't take any – I wasn't on the school newspaper in high school or anything like that. I was going to mention, I mean, the best way to get uh, young people involved with journalism is, you know – Make it a class and, you know, make it fun and teach why journalism is still important, even when we're in the internet-heavy era that we are. I mean, I, I, I mean, I always wanted to be in broadcasting as a kid, and I picked up journalism with my high school newspaper, and that's, you know, that's been why I wanted to chase my dream. So I definitely think, you know, that's that's a very... A good-looking point uh, to get, you know, some of the uh, some of the high school kids, you know, thinking about journalism as something that can possibly be in the ballpark for them. And I think that, that like, we have a lot of like kids that intern for us, but then they move on to other things. And I think a lot of like young people are under this impression that they have to have a Stephen A. Smith, Seth Davis you know, Skip Bayless-type career to be considered successful in this business when you really don't. Success is what you make of it. And for me, I'm happy doing the local stuff. And I I don't need to be on that national stage to be happy. I mean, it's the same thing as an official. I don't need to be doing Division I college volleyball to be happy. I'm perfectly happy doing Division IIs. I like your attitude on that. I mean, you're you're still in sports, so definitely that's that's a very good definition of success and going back on that whole Stephen A. Smith thing I mean I wish people would realize that be yourself and you have a far more you know a a more genuine product like don't try to be someone else you know you know be yourself exactly and that's what it's about it's about being yourself and telling stories and just enjoying what you do. I mean, sure, there are nights where it gets, you know, tedious. I mean, I've done double headers before. I've done, you know, I've done softball at three o'clock and a high school state basketball playoff game at seven. I've done, I've done a college baseball double header where we've played at both stadium sites. Actually, I did that last year. That's a funny story. <laughs> um, UCR and CBU play in, the, in what we call the crosstown showdown because they're separated by like two miles. Mm-hmm. One of their games got rained out. Um, it was the Saturday game of the series, I believe. So they had us play a doubleheader Sunday, one game at each stadium site. And so we had to, you know, after game one, we had to move from the Plex to CBU's Tottenham Stadium, not to mention write our game one stories. Man, that's got to be a rush doing that and being part of a Crosstown 
Crosstown Showdown, even. I mean, in Cincinnati, we have a great one in uh, UC and Xavier, and they're like seven minutes apart, maybe. They're, they're not too far apart, and I wish we had something like that in Dayton, but we don't. But that's kind of basketball rivalry between UC and Xavier coming back on the men's side? Because I remember there was that one year they had the brawl and then it was halted, right? Yeah, but they ended up playing that next year anyway. Um, That brawl was bad, but then they were talking about, let's just move it to U.S. Bank Center, which, that sounds nice and all, but the problem is, it hasn't been updated since 1997, and it's it's an arena that's been open since the 1970s, so... Yeah, uh, luckily they got everything ironed out, and uh, UC and Xavier were able to, you know, keep the rivalry going. One year at uh, Xavier, one year at Cincinnati. I mean, it's a great rivalry too. I love listening to those games on radio. It's it's pretty much Cincinnati right there. It's it's prime Cincinnati sports. I mean, I'm glad that they were able to fix the, you know, you know, clean up the issues that whatever happened in the rivalry. Um... I, I just hate seeing rivalries die, and that's why I asked, because I, I just remembered that brawl from a few years ago, and it, it was basically the front page on ESPN that night when it happened. Let me tell you about Wright State and Dayton. That's uh, two uh, D1 schools in, in this town, and they're separated by, uh, let's say, 20 minutes. Uh, they were playing in the Gem City Slam, because this is the Gem City, and apparently it's named after a racehorse, which I don't know why. But... Uh, they played until 1997, and then series just broke off, and they haven't played in men's basketball since. And as oh. of late, Wright State and Dayton haven't played much of anything against each other. In fact, this year is supposed to be like the first year Wright State and Dayton weren't even scheduled on the college baseball schedule. And I was just, when I saw that, my jaw hit the floor. It's like, Wright State's not even playing Dayton this year? That's that. But, yeah, that's, that's a rant for another day. And... Let me tell you, there's some strong feelings both sides about that rivalry. There's some people that want it and think the other teams uh, don't want to play it because they're afraid to lose. And there's the other side that think that the other team is not even worth their time of day. So, yeah, it's a it's a hot topic that, that is brought up about once every three months here in Dayton. And uh, <laughs> it's nowhere uh, close to being absorbed or solved, I should say. So, yeah. Um, are you, like, how far are you from Bowling Green that cut their baseball team last week? I'm about two and a half hours away, but, man, that broke my heart. Because Bowling Green was a common foe for uh, Dayton and Wright State baseball. So I normally see the Falcons, like, once a year on the baseball diamond. And of all the schools to cut baseball, Bowling Green wouldn't have been the team, I guess, I, I'm I'm glad Akron bought their team back, but I was also worried that they decide, nah. I mean, they're led by former Cincinnati Red and Chris Sabo, Sabo, sorry. Oh, but didn't isn't Akron fielding baseball, but it's not on scholarship, right? Um, you know, I don't know that question. I thought they were going to bring back scholarships eventually. Maybe the first year, you know, they build it up, but. That's a very good question, and I don't know that one, unfortunately. Oh, okay. And then just because I saw, and then I saw Akron cut a couple of sports too, men's golf and was it cross country and tennis? I think they cut. 
last week. Yes, they they cut three sports. I mean, that's that's been a bad theme that I've seen during this uh, pandemic as well. And I, I'm I, I'm always worried that you know Wright State and Dayton do that. I mean, UC cut their men's soccer team, and they've been a thing since the seventies. And that's, oh yeah, that was the first one I saw. Yeah, and that surprised me just because of the fact how big soccer is becoming in Cincinnati. And you have a pro team playing at UC until their new stadium's built up for next year. And that, that broke my heart and there was a lot of anger towards that, but it's it's not it's not easy to say, "Hey, we have to cut a sport." So, no, it's not. I mean, I I feel horrible for the athletic directors and the coaches in that position. I mean, Furman cut baseball last week. That's... Chicago State's actual Chicago State's on the chopping block right now for baseball. Oh, I, yeah, the Furman one surprised me because they're they're pretty good. I mean, they're also a common foe uh, for Dayton, but normally it's at Furman because it's normal. Oh yeah, you're going to South Carolina, you're going on the ocean. I mean, why come up there? I mean, it's like for CBU. You know, they're making the transition, but they get a lot of East Coast teams to make that trip west, especially those first couple of series of the season when there's everything is still snowed in. And I, I don't blame them. I mean, would you rather be in Blizzard Town, USA, or go out to California, you know, or the south where it's warm? I, I'd probably pick the um, the latter, California, you know, and the warm south. Have you read that um, proposal from that group of uh, college baseball coaches that wants to um, extend the baseball season through the 4th of July? They have a proposal to start later and then end around the 4th of July with the World Series. No. Um, you know, I, I've read the proposal that uh, soccer wants to do. They want to kind of have like two seasons, one in the fall, one in the spring. Uh, but baseball, that's a new one on me. And... Uh, it would certainly help the Northern teams uh, because <laughs> February is normally a trip down south and sometimes uh, we'll have a home game scheduled for like the last week of February and it never gets played. So, you know, I, I don't think I would hate that. I mean, it, it kind of messed up my schedule a little bit, but and also what would become of... Uh, summer collegiate baseball if the uh, athletes playing college baseball can't get to those teams what's happening to them yeah there, there, there were definitely a couple of questions in the proposal that i had but i overall i liked what i read i mean it's on d1 baseball one of the division one baseball sites i'll have to send you the link if yeah. i can find it again please do because i'm i'm interested in that and you know there are a couple of questions that come immediately to my mind on it but it would definitely help out, like, the schools in Ohio and Michigan and the Midwest. I mean, there's no guarantees that we won't be hit with uh, <laughs> tremendous amounts of rain and storms, but, hey, it's better than uh, Blizzard, which, by the way... I would rather take my ch- I'd rather take my chances with rain and thunderstorms than uh, a field stop, you know, under six inches of snow. Can I tell you a story about uh, playing in the snow? I think it Go was... Ahead. I think it was last year, and Dayton's hosting Ball State out of Muncie, Indiana, so not too far away from Dayton. So we get the game going, and we have these ginormous snowflakes that are just flowing through. It's it's tough to see the baseball at this point from the press box, so I can't imagine how the batters and the, you know, the infielders and outfielders can actually see it. But um, we get through an inning, and then the second inning, the umpire's like, nope, 
we're done. The snowflakes are too big. It's like, hmm. Which I, I totally understand. That's uh, I think that's the right call. But it's just, you know, we, we already played an inning and we didn't stop it before that. That's just, I don't know. But um, that's a great snow story. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I've never been a part of anything like that. Um, I've been, yeah, no, I haven't had anything that's, you know, been rained on, you know, rained on or postponed or anything like that. I mean, we've had weeks where, okay, so one of our high school baseball leagues here wanted to try to go to three three games a week this year, okay. all against the same opponent. Hmm. So, and, kind of, so kind of like a three-game series? Yeah, basically. Okay. Um. And so my question was, how how was the pitching going to hold up in that league? But it's a big public school league, so they're going to have a lot of arms. Um, You know, right out of the gate, that first week of league is when everything shut down. And as it turned out, they were going to play, was it Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? As it turned out, it rained Tuesday, Wednesday, and I believe Thursday that week. So there was no chance there. And it was doing, it did that for a couple of weeks out here. So I was, you know, I'm thinking about this to myself during the, you know, the quarantine. I was like, there's no way they were going to play four. They were going to have to play two game, weeks of four games just to get all their league games in, you know, by the CIF cutoff. I mean, I, I know Ohio has a pitch count limit for pitchers and then they can't pitch again for, you know, several days. But does California have anything like that? Yes. Um, our starters can't throw more than 110 pitches per outing. They're also limited to uh, 30 outs a week. Okay. I I think in Ohio it's 100 pitches, or if you go over that, then you're shelled for pretty much the week. But, yeah, it's I, – I, I like the limits just because, you know, you don't want to blow out your elbow in high school. You know, you don't yeah. want to, you don't want to blow out your elbow full stop, but at the same time, you know, protect the young arms out there. So I I get it, and I I do like the limits. So, but I was just we actually had that. a league championship race decided by a violation of that rule last year. <laughs> How'd that turn out? So we had the it was the first and second place teams in the league, or second. There was going to be some kind of weird tie if one of the teams won. Hmm. One team's scorekeeper had the uh, starting pitcher at, was it 128 pitches, I think it was, mm. while the other team's bookkeeper had it at 110, had him hitting the limit and then getting out. So there was a discrepancy of 18 pitches between the two? Yes. Mm. And then, I can't I can't remember what the ruling was, but I'm pretty, it, it forced a forfeit. Mm. Oh, yeah. So the winning team won the game with that starter that went over the limit. The violation forced a forfeit, and it did, and it basically won the league championship for them. Oh boy, I I can't imagine there were too many happy uh, folks on the forfeiting side like that. Oh no, and I mean, like I said, I've score kept basketball for a decade plus. Mm. I can't imagine ever being off eighteen points in a game, let alone eighteen pitches in a baseball game. The only thing I can think of is maybe they forgot to count foul balls. Which is possible. I mean, you know, humans make mistakes, and I, I get that. But 18 pitches, I mean, I can get a couple, but just 18, that's that's a big discrepancy. So, so Daryl, uh, how can people follow your work and you on social media? All right. Let's, um, my uh, 
stories can be seen on the Inland Sports website, inlandsports.wordpress.com. Mm-hmm. On Twitter, I am Trujillo Daryl, and then at Instagram, it's just Daryl Trujillo. Now, I, I skipped a question, but for those interested in joining the journalism field, what advice can you give those folks? I'd say don't be afraid to learn. I, I think that's the biggest thing for me. I mean, this whole thing has been a learning experience for me. I mean, I didn't go to journalism school. I didn't, you know, I wasn't in journalism in high school. I'd say just don't be afraid to learn. Don't be afraid to pick the brains of those around you who have been in this business for a while, you know, for advice on how to handle things or, you know, advice on a sto- editing a story. I mean, I'm in a NASCAR Facebook group, and one of the guys there is a sports writer in Michigan, and I'll bounce story ideas off of and edit, have him look at stories all the time. If I like, you know, you, we all need a second set of eyes on things, and if, especially if you stared at the same 600 words five times, it's like, hey, can you look at this real quick and t- tell me if you have anything for me? Just don't be afraid to ask questions and pick brains and, and just learn with it. Ultimately, we're all learning every time we go out there. I forget who said it, but they mentioned if you don't learn anything in a day, it's not a good day. So I definitely love that piece of advice. And like you mentioned, this whole quarantine is a learning process. Like how do we get better in a time where there's no live sports going on or they're slowly coming back? So, Daryl, I definitely love that answer. Thanks, Lee. I thought it was a good one. Yeah, I, I... I've I've enjoyed this interview, and definitely I recommend uh, giving Daryl's work a look over. It's very good stuff, and also have to thank uh, Connecting SW on Twitter for, uh, you know, networking with all of us. I mean, that's a great Twitter account. If you're a broadcaster, writer, podcaster, anything of the sort, uh, again, it's Connecting SW on Twitter, so... Oh, yeah, that account's been great to follow and just seeing the ideas and the suggestions that everybody else has that has, you know, that's been around the block a few times, even though this is new to all of us. I'm sure, you know, we all have had off seasons to try to kill con- with content, but they've been great about keeping stuff up that helps all of us. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of my favorite accounts on Twitter, so definitely uh, recommend it on there. And Daryl, thank you so much for giving me your time today. And it's been a lot of fun learning about sports in your part of the world, Menifee, California, U.S. of A. Been a blast, Lee. Thanks for the opportunity. No problem. Any final words before we wrap up episode 151? No, I mean, just whenever we do get back, let's remember to enjoy what we're doing and not get so caught up in the in the next thing we're doing. That's also a nice way to end the episode. He's Darrow. Trujillo of the Inland Sports Show. And that will do it for episode 151 of the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. And we'll talk to you again for episode 152. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. To subscribe to the podcast, please visit the slash podcast. 
From there, you can choose your favorite platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and many more. Interact with the podcast and host on Twitter at the Lee W. Mallon and at Sunday Pod. Like the Facebook page, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and download the free Flick Chat app. Then search for the local Sunday Sports Group to submit your future Mallon's mailbag questions. The closing theme is Lights Go Down by Dan Hennig, provided by the YouTube Music Library Collection. This is Lee W. Mowen, and I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please join me again next week on the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast.